Uh, hi, my name is Christopher Sabella, and this is who I am. My guest today is Christopher Sabella, the co-founder of Two-Headed Press and comic book writer of such series as High Crimes, Short Order Crooks, and Cold War, as well as the Blue Beetle series for DC Comics. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, well, thank you. Um, so you were born in... I had your information up. Here you, go. you were born in Chicago. Uh-huh. And uh, lived in Kansas City in Missouri. Yep. And uh, now you're in Oregon. Yes. Um, that's the quick version. But um, uh, how long were you in each place as, and how much of each place has formed you as a, as a creator, would you say? Uh, well, I grew up in Chicago. I lived there for 25 years. So uh, Chicago is kind of my big formative city, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I just, uh, I don't know, towards the end of my time there, uh it started getting, well, that's when I was sort of starting to like, Oh, I don't want to live with roommates anymore. And I want to be an adult. (laughs) Um, and I couldn't really afford it in Chicago. So Kansas city was like an eight hour drive away. So Mm -hmm. I figured I'd try that. Um, and then I wound up being in Kansas city for nine years. Um, which was, um, I guess pretty formative because it's how I started started freelancing in Kansas City, mm-hmm. um, which was nothing. It was just a whole chain of circumstances of all the jobs I had gotten up to that point. Uh, and then I started freelancing and Kansas City was cheap enough that I could continue doing it. Um, and then the economy collapsed in about <laughs> 2008, 2009, and suddenly all my freelance stuff was drying up. And I was like, man, the only thing I really am certain that I know how to do well is write. So uh, some friends of mine had just moved to Portland and had offered to put me up if I wanted to move out there, like mm-hmm. as far as a staging area for me to look for places. So... I took them up on it and basically like set a goal of I'm going to move to Portland and try to break into comics because writing is like the only thing I think I can do really well. And I know everybody in comics, so I might as well put these two things together and see if I can make it work. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, this is the, uh, the start of my eighth, eighth year living in Portland. So, um, and possibly my last year living in Portland. So, oh, really? we'll see. Uh, yeah, Portland is now. When I moved here, cost of living was pretty comparable to Kansas City, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons I did it. But now, uh, rents have skyrocketed. You know, we've become a popular town for people from California and mm-hmm. everywhere else. So, uh, finding a place that's affordable uh, is getting harder and harder. And, you know, I have the kind of job where I don't have to stay any one particular place. So, so yeah, I'm thinking about moving back to the Midwest where things are cheaper and I can kind of make my, my comics money go a bit further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was it that, that drew you to Kansas originally? Was it just a, a pin in a map kind of thing or, or did you have a connection there? Uh, yeah, my, uh, my buddy Matt Fraction actually lived in Kansas city. So I went and visited him and, and yeah, it just seemed like, oh, here's a place that, you know, is not too dissimilar from Chicago, just a lot smaller. Um, but still has all the amenities that I need, but is just a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I kind of just gambled on it and was like, well, if I hate it, I can always move back, I guess. But, but yeah, at that point, I, I just had to move somewhere because, you know, I, Chicago was just starting to grind on me, and I was like, well, yeah, this place seems cheap enough and like small enough that even if I completely fail spectacularly, um, it's you know not going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. So that was those were my main motivations moving there. Right. 
And uh, did you grow up as a comic book reader? Is that how you you knew people in the industry, or was there another way that you? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I grew up reading comics from I don't know uh, sometime in grade school. What was when I started, uh, and then I've had you know sort of an on again, off again love affair with comics. Like when I got into high school, I think I stopped reading comics. Uh, because my money now had to go towards grown up high school things. <laughs> uh, but then I came back when I was in college and, and I think that was the time that really made it stick because that's when I started going to the Warren Ellis forum, mm-hmm. um, which is basically where I met everybody in comics. So yeah, I'd accidentally done all this comics networking for a couple of years in the, uh, early two thousands. So, so yeah, once I sort of decided to pursue writing, I was like, well, I've already done all the, all the networking stuff. Like I know all these people who have now broken into comics and are becoming big names and, you know, I know some editors and stuff. So I might as well put that to use instead of like, Oh, I'm going to try to break into the book market where I don't know anybody and I don't know how it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, that was uh, that that forum was like a a, a big um, uh, I don't even know what kind of wave you'd call it I mean I guess like a second or third wave of uh, of creative um, uh, juice that that appeared after because um, I had a similar thing where I was reading comics up into a certain age and I kind of slumped off partly because of money and partly because um, it was the early nineties and I felt like I was. I was losing interest in comics at that stage, but then it kind of sure. came back because of that. I think that forum and the, the people that were creating off of that forum was a real big uh, pullback for me. Um, th- but the so, so you were you were around in the early two thousands with the Warren Ellis uh, forum stuff going on, and then you started writing. Was it in two thousand and seven, or was it before then? Um, for, uh, for comics. For comics. Yeah, for comics, it really wasn't until 2010. Um, So, yeah, I, you know, like I liked comics and I liked everybody in comics. Uh, That place was mostly just sort of fun for me. Like Mm -hmm. I never I never thought of it as like, hey, here's a good way to get ahead in comics. Like I, I didn't even consider comics as something that I'd want to do, I guess. Um you know, back then I was a bit more uh, snobby and uh, <laughs> stuck up. So I was like, no, if I write, I'm going to write a novel. Like, uh, so I had to train myself to get over that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it turns out that, you know, that whole place was just kind of the perfect place to be at that time to get to know everybody before they became huge stars um and living in kansas city uh which had a pretty decent comics uh network you know like jason jason aaron's out there and dennis hopeless and so so yeah it just seemed like my life kept pushing me towards comics and i just kept like pushing away and mm-hmm. being like no no i'm gonna go do this other thing and then finally <laughs> i i finally gave in and was like okay like clearly comics wants me for something so i'm gonna try and engage it head on Mm-hmm. What was your um, approach to the the scripting early on? Did you did you know how uh, comic scripts were formatted and and stuff like that, or was it just something that you'd learn as you went along? And yeah, it was a lot of learning as I went along. Like my, you know, I remember we sold our first book, and then and then I was like, oh crap, now we have to write it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I remember asking. Uh, Matt Fraction, uh, I was like, hey, do you have any helpful hints? Because, like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So he sent me a very nice email, which was about two pages long, that had just some basic, here's what to do, here's what not to do. Um, and then then I started exploring just sort of, like, nuts and bolts stuff. So there's this whole thing called the Mort numbers, mm-hmm. which – uh, is like this sort of, it's a, it's not a real rule, but it's a, a shorthand for how many words you should have per panel. Um, so it's a math sort of, sort of thing. So if you have nine panels, then each panel can only have this many words in it. Uh, so 
stuff like that. And I'd figure out what worked for me and what didn't. I very quickly was like, well, these Mort numbers are okay, but I, I have more dialogue than, than it suggests. So I'm just going to ignore this. Uh, so yeah, it's it, at the beginning. It was a lot of learning the rules and then figuring out how I could break them mm-hmm. uh, to sort of suit my writing style. Mm. And what would you say your style is? Uh, very talky. <laughs> uh, I I write very dense scripts. Um, yeah, I got lucky that like my first solo book was High Crimes with Ibrahim Mustafa, and he told me early on he was like, "Yeah, feel free to like load up the page with panels. Like I like to do dense pages." And so I was like, "Ooh, permission!" So. <laughs> So that was all I needed. And I kind of went off from there. And then when I, you know, it's like in the middle of writing that or maybe closer to the end, I had, I think I was writing ghost for dark horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then I would send a script in and my editor would be like, Whoa, there's a lot of panels on this page, like <laughs> on all these pages. And I was like, Oh, right. This isn't like, this isn't Ibrahim. So I have to, pull myself back um but yeah when i when i'm given permission like i like to do a lot of panels i like to do a lot of talking in them uh and very character driven stuff like that's i i like doing you know these sort of uh uh, high concepts uh or stuff with hooks in them but but that can only like hook me so far and i have to have characters that are legitimately interesting to me to keep me going. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, like sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard because I'll have to, I'll have to be like, Oh, well you have to address plot and there should be probably an action scene somewhere here. And when sometimes I just much rather have two characters kind of sitting around, uh, bantering with each other. Uh, so, so yeah, I've been, I've kind of given up on not being chatty. Like, I think it's just my thing. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I, I just try to like make it as, uh, unpainful for my collaborators as I can. (laughs) So, so yeah, that's, that's roughly my style. Mm. And is there a, because of that, do you find that you, you get constricted with, with page counts or, or is there, do you like the, the standard 20 or 22 pages or, do you feel like you need more room to breathe? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I no, I kind of like that comics has these sort of default built in things of like, you know, this is 20 pages, this is 22. Um, because it's like, I don't know, after a while you, you just understand the structure sort of, uh, intrinsically and you know, like, okay, well this is, you know, this is what I have to work with. It just becomes like, second nature like it's it's easier when you're like okay i know the exact size of the playing field that i'm about to get on and so you have to pick your battles mm-hmm. uh that said when i when i get the opportunity doing more um like self-owned creator owned stuff i definitely bump my page counts up to like mid 20s or higher mm-hmm. um because if i have the chance to then yeah, I always want to like put as much stuff as possible into an issue. I I want to make an issue that like you can't tear through in five minutes and be like, well, that was four dollars. Um, <laughs> like I'd at least like it to take ten minutes or more, um, mm-hmm. and have it be dense enough that like, um, that you know like readers feel like they got their money's worth on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, with the 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 technique that you use when you're mapping out a story is it a visual thing or is it more of a um uh, how, how do you plot out the the page count and the making sure everything fits in that, those formats uh i do everything so i do all my preliminary work in uh composition notebooks mm-hmm. uh and once so like it's a whole proving ground thing for me where like once an idea has ascended to become uh like an act I don't know, like an idea that is worthy of being pursued, then it gets its own notebook. And then, then when I start working on a book, I will, you know, I'll just fill pages and pages with like here ideas for stuff I'd want to do in this book. And, 
uh, here's sort of a rough plot of where I see it going. As much stuff as I know about it or figure out while I'm sitting over the notebook. And then uh, and then I'll do basically like a two-page spread on one side on one sheet on the left-hand side. I will basically write out here's everything that needs to happen in this issue um, in big broad strokes. And then on the facing page, I'll write you know uh, each line is uh, one through twenty or twenty-two or twenty-four. Um, <clears throat> and then basically do a page by page breakdown and say like, okay, page one, this happens, uh, page two, this happens. And it has to be brief enough that it can fit on one notebook line. And then usually that's all the prep work I have to do. Like it's just building myself a map that's, it's not completely shaded in. I don't know where every road is, but I know the direction I'm going and I know the big major sites I need to see along the way. Um, so yeah, that's normally how I do it. So lately I, there's a new creator own book that I've been working on that I've been going a lot harder on. Like each issue gets about five or more drafts, uh, which is way higher than I tend to go. Mm. Um, and also, like the outline, like I, I think I did three outlines of the current issue that I'm writing before. I was like, okay, this feels like ready to go. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes I don't even do the outline. Like, there's some things where the the prep work almost feels like you're setting a trap for yourself. Like mm -hmm. you're you're giving yourself permission to not be doing the work by saying like, oh well. No, I'm I'm doing prep work for it. Like so this counts and it's like <laughs> no, you're you're just like dicking around and you're not getting work done. So so yeah, I I really love my notebook system, but I also have learned to let go of it sometimes and just dive into an issue and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does it change from uh, the create your own stuff to the the work for hire stuff that you do? Is it is it still that model of the notebook and the the planning stuff out or is there more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah, I, I treat every book the same. Like I write them all just as hard as I do any of the others. Like, um, and I wish I could turn off. I, I've lamented this to a couple of people lately that like, I wish I could turn off the part of my brain that like cares as much, uh, <laughs> for work for higher stuff. Uh, but that's just not the way I'm wired. So mm -hmm. like, no matter, you know, I'm putting my time in and I'm putting, you know, ostensibly my skill in on this and I can't just like half ass it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, the tougher thing with work for higher stuff is, you know, a lot of times you're, you're using someone else's rule books. So you don't know all the facts, um, you know, with like blue beetle, there's been a lot of, because it's, uh, new, new 52 um and not or is it rebirth i'm see I get, <laughs> i'm already confused but like you know there's all these canonical things mm -hmm. and you have to keep track of them and like even though hey i read this comic as a kid where blue beetle and uh you know superman were hanging out like oh that's actually not canon anymore mm -hmm. so <clears throat> and you know like i'm currently writing a a hitman book for dynamite based mm -hmm. on the video game. And a lot of that is like, you know, I have to, I have to have discussions with the game writer and the people working behind the scenes on the game to make sure that what I'm doing doesn't mess with their canon mm -hmm. um, and just helps reinforce it. So with work for hire, there's just a lot more cooks in the kitchen and there's a lot more people to answer to. Um, which I don't mind. Like it, it, it makes it a bit more challenging with work for hire. It's you're the one in charge. Like you're, I mean, uh, unless you're doing it through a more hands-on publisher, like boom, um, where you will have editors who will give you notes with a lot of work for hire. It's just like, eh, I can do whatever I want. Like it's my, it's my thing. Um, so doing work for hire stuff, you know, having these strictures in place of like, you can only do this, this, and this, and you know, you have to make it work with that thing. Um, it makes it more challenging and it keeps it from getting dull. I mean, like there's, I, there's almost something about creator owned where it's like, 
it's like getting everything you want on Christmas and it's like, well, crap, like now I don't want anything anymore. <laughs> uh, like I, I wish there were things that I still wanted. Um, so yeah, work for hire stuff is very much like you get half the things on your list. Um, and they're great things, but like, yeah. Um, I think my analogy is kind of falling apart, but <laughs> it makes sense to me. <laughs> That's good. Um, and for, for the creator and stuff, you've used Kickstarter quite a lot as a, as a uh, platform. And, um, do you, do you enjoy that process or? No, I hate it. Uh, <laughs> like, um, I like, I like that Kickstarter allows me to fund books. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate the process of it. Like I hate having to shill for 30 straight days mm-hmm. or, or less if the campaign's shorter. Um, I hate how Pavlovian I am about like, you know, just constantly eyeing my phone, um, to see if there's a new notification, if somebody gave money and, you know, just living in constant dread of like, Oh, what if this doesn't get funded? Like it's basically failing in public (laughs) and, and you can't brush it off. You can't have that like Pee Wee Herman moment where you fall off the bike and you're like, I meant to do that. Like, because you've spent, weeks uh imploring people to give you money and then at the very end like you don't hit it it's just like uh i don't know that i could you know like live with failing that publicly Hmm. um it's and yeah it's just like kind of a psychological battlefield but i mean i'm trying to do more of them so i can kind of soften that aspect and Mm -hmm. not not be as uh you know, just like overwrought by all this stuff because I, I, yeah. Um, and, and just like figuring out how to do a more streamlined campaign, you know, my, the campaign for short order crooks was just crazy. And I finished assembling it literally like an hour before it went live. So there were tons of mistakes. There were like 40 reward (laughs) levels, which is an insane amount of reward (laughs) levels. Which I didn't realize until I had to start fulfilling all them. Um, mm. And just, yeah, like it's it's me learning the ins and outs of like running my own publishing house. So uh, for the first year, you know, we got uh, all five issues of Shorter Crooks funded and one issue of the Death Defying funded, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, hopefully in 2018, like I'm going to. I don't know, learn how to do this better and, and treat all this stuff more like a business instead of like, Hey, here's some, like, I want it to be fun, but it's also like, you know, I have to pay taxes on all this stuff and I have to keep records of like my business expenses. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's sort of forcing me to become a little more grown up, uh, which I've been resisting, but I guess I have to give in. Mm. And this is for the, the two headed press stuff that you, that that's. Not yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you've done more than than just those two, right? For the Kickstarter. Um, I mean, I did a Kickstarter for the Clown Motel. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, I don't treat that as an actual. Like everybody, when I did, when I was doing my Kickstarter for shorter crooks, they're like, "Yeah, but you've already done a Kickstarter," and I was like, "Yeah, but that, like that, you can't compare the Clown Motel Kickstarter to real Kickstarters." Because I was one, I was actively encouraging people not to give me money, and. <laughs> And it hit the goal so fast that, and, and largely was motivated by, uh, you know, a lot of my friends gave money to it, but it was also, you know, it's that thing of like, uh, like they were helping me, but also they wanted to see me get sent on this terrible journey. Mm-hmm. Um, like it was sort of a love hate thing in one gesture. So, so yeah, like that was my introduction to Kickstarter, but it, you know, it's like, it's, it's not comparable to running a Kickstarter you actually care about and Mm. have invested, invested a lot of yourself in. Right. How did the, the clown motel idea come up? Um, it was just, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to do a writing retreat Mm -hmm. and, uh, I had been, there had been a whole thing going on, like Welcome Back had just started coming out and um, there were some difficulties. We ended up having the transition from uh, one artist to another and all that was going on and I I would just like, I was just like, I want to get away for a month. I just want to go somewhere 
where there's no distractions and just write for a month. And I tried to think of, cause I've done that before where I've gone and like checked into motels to try and write, but mm-hmm. they end up being motels that have like a TV with, uh, you know, a hundred channels of cable mm-hmm. and, or they're, you know, near a nice restaurant. Uh, just like if I can find a way to not do work, my brain will find a way. So mm-hmm. I, I, I had gone to the clown motel as an av- sort of mini adventure with a friend of mine. And I thought back to it and I was like, you can't get more isolated than that place. Like it's three hours from anywhere civilized. Um, all the TVs ha- are, you know, like from the mid nineties. Um, and because it's like in central Nevada, it's in a bowl. So it doesn't really get a lot of good reception. Um, so there's a lot of stuff eliminated right there. I knew the Wi-Fi was terrible. I knew there was nothing to do in town. Um, like no movie theaters, nothing. So I put all that together. Uh, and I was just like, I, yeah, I just kept like asking Twitter. I was like, if I did this, would, would anybody give me money? (laughs) And enough people kept saying yes, that finally, yeah, I I, like, I threw it together one night. Uh, I mean, I cut the video together just on a lark and I thought I'd have to wait longer and I pushed like make campaign go live and then all of a sudden it was live and then I was funded within four or five hours. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's just like one of those fever dream things that like normally I would just go like, oh, that's funny and then move on with my life. But this caught me at this sort of nexus of like work exhaustion and frustration and yeah, it was a perfect storm of stupid. Hmm. <laughs> um, you said something on Twitter the other day, which was uh, uh, going back to the, the Kickstarter idea. I think you said something like that. You couldn't believe that the uh, short order crooks is, exists now. And it's only because of like a few hundred people came together and that idea that, that the creators can now, uh, make something and find like a small or relatively small group of people to make it happen that quickly and um I, it, it's it's interesting to me that that you know that creators for a long time it felt like the block was not knowing if people were out there to read stuff it was that that leap to make something and then print it and make a big print number normally and then sit and wait and see, and um, it feels like like uh, with Kickstarter and especially what you're saying there with the the clown motel thing is that you can make a video and put it live in a few hours or even minutes sometimes, and that's it, and then it's out there, and then you know you can have something funded in three or four hours. Yeah, it's you know, and it's a lot of what I like about comics too, mm-hmm. uh, as compared to you know, like writing a novel or something is, you know, that is years of work. Uh, and then even when you're done, then you have to wait, you know, another year or two sometimes for it to come out. Um, uh, with comics, you know, you're getting, you know, we're writing chapters of these stories and, you know, I can write a thing and have it out there and get sort of instant feedback from readers about it. Uh, like which is i think like why i needed comics because like writing prose i could just go forever and i'd be like well it's not done Mm -hmm. so i don't have to show this to anybody um but with comics it's like no like if you want this to keep coming out you have to write a script every month and you have to you know show it to people and with kickstarter you know, it's like you don't have to go through the process of pitching to publishers and trying to woo them over. Like you just have to get, you know, five or six page. It's the same process, really. You get mm-hmm. the first five or six pages drawn and colored and lettered. And but instead of pitching a publisher, you know, you you're just pitching the general public. And and I think the thing that like shocked me the most was that, you know, we had like 600 backers for short order crooks. And like that funded a five issue series. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing a five issue series in the direct market, you know, your, your orders on issue one have to be, you know, uh, several thousand to, 
to make it sustainable. Um, and it has to be like markedly higher if you want to do like an ongoing book, like, and just the fact that it's like, Oh, we just needed 600 people who cared enough to want to read this. It was like a, you know, it's like, it's not a book that's going to blow up the world because we have such a small market right now. But, but everybody who gave, like they, they care about this book. Like it's, there's something nice about having this very sort of specific audience and so when I send out updates, I know that I'm talking to people who care about this book and I don't have to woo them. Like I already did the wooing. So, um, yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's nice. You know, it's, we got it funded in June, you know, by the first of June and issue five is pretty much, it just needs to be lettered, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's already done. So, you know, like conceived, announced and basically did, uh, a, you know, a five issue arc in six months is pretty good. Like, especially, I mean, in any creative industry, like putting out a book that fast is, mm-hmm. it's hard. So, so yeah, I think that's the other thing I like about Kickstarter is that, you know, you can just have this idea and provided you, you sell it well enough and you get enough people on board, then you can bring that thing to market like before the year is up rather mm-hmm. than like, you know, oh, I'll wait and see where where my book fits on your schedule. So yeah, I'm. It's something I'm going to lean into more, um, as much as I hate it, uh, <laughs> because like the rewards of doing Kickstarter stuff is just like, oh, I can do any book I want as long as there's enough people out there who also want to read a book like this. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you're that because of that now you you're starting to um to come up with more ideas and more different ideas or have have there always been these stories that you wanted to tell that you're now able to to like bring back up and work on and and hopefully bring out yeah no these are you know the the two books i've kickstarted so far are both books that um like the death defying is at least a 2010 or previous idea. Mm-hmm. I think it's around 2010 and, uh, and short order crooks, uh, was like a 2011 idea. So those were both books that I've been wanting to do for years, but you know, you have to find a publisher who one isn't doing a book like it, mm-hmm. uh, if they are interested in it. And then, you know, it's, then you, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just like so many complications that can fall in the way of, you know, short order crooks, like on paper, doesn't sound super intriguing. I, I don't know. Like it was always a hard sell and I couldn't get any publishers on board, even though, you know, like in my head, I was like, no, this is a really cool book and it's got like fun action stuff and like good character stuff. But it, you know, like, sometimes you just have to go out and do it yourself and then go like, well, here's my proof of concept. Like we just went and did it. Mm-hmm. Um, because like there, there's no way to prove this concept to you. I just have to go and do it. Um, like with the Houdini book, uh, you know, the death defying that was also just like, um, it's just like, I, there's so much, I remember like I sort of got that book placed with a publisher and then it got unplaced with them because they were like, Oh, well there's this BBC series called like Houdini and Doyle. Um, that was just like a weird Victorian procedural. And Mm -hmm. I was like, no, these are two different books, but like (laughs) are two different concepts. Like my thing is going to be way cooler than that, but it's hard to convince people of that until they're looking at the thing. So, Mm -hmm. No, I mean, my ideas are still, you know, whatever shows up. I've had ideas for, like, really big, crazy things and also just, like, uh, smaller, down-to-earth things. I think the the Kickstarter angle makes these sort of smaller or nichier ideas easier to latch onto because now I know that, like, oh, there is an avenue for, you know, I don't have to worry about how am I going to convince a publisher to put this out? Like, I'll just publish it. Mm -hmm. 
and um, do, do you think that's leading to a shift? Do you think like, um, you know, in the past there used to be that idea that you would put out a book and that would lead to, um, to work for hire and then you were a comic book writer and now it seems like, the, the, you know, the promise was always there and webcomics kind of almost delivered with this idea that you could just create something and put it out there. And the only reason I say it almost delivered is because it's it seemed to have so many stops and starts or it's become such a its own thing that it's mm. separate from comics in a lot of way. But but now we're getting, I think anyway, is we're getting more um, more people who want like a physical book, but they don't want to go necessarily through the direct market or they want to create their own thing and have a lot more control over the production of it. And um, do, do you think that shift is happening or, or is it still that standard idea that this is, you know, you have to break into comics to be a comic creator. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I think that that the shift on that front has already happened. Like, you know, there's enough people who are living off of their web comics and who will turn around and take a comic that they've been doing for free on the internet for the last five years to Kickstarter and then raise like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think, my heart is still with comic shops and, you know, like has, having my books in stores. But um, I think it's just the shift that's happened is it's a lot easier to just directly sell to the people who you I guess you would call your fans or your readers like now, you know, like if they don't want to go to a shop and like try and track down a book, like, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm just sitting here on Twitter. You can reach out to me. You can just like hit me up or you can go to my website and I'll sell you, you know, this, uh, stuff that I self publish. Um, I don't, it's just like, uh, everything all around seems a lot more intimate. Like the fact that, you know, you can go online and like talk to a creator whose book you just read and more often than not, like they will respond to you. Uh, it's just, I think it's just a byproduct of that is like now you can, you know, if there's a creator you like, you can go check out and see stuff that they're doing that you can't pick up at your local shop. And like, um, yeah, I mean, I think the shift has been there for a bit. I think it's just the more tools we get that make it easier to do this stuff ourselves without having to, you know, um, rely on printer networks and like these, these relationships that, uh, these publishers have had established for years and years. Like, uh, it's, it's getting easier to leapfrog over that. Mm -hmm. And you, you did some designing work, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was my, my freelance job before writing. Okay. Do, do you think that helps? Do you think that that lends um, that that means that some of the stuff that you've put out has had a, a, a more professional look or feel to it than than what some other people do, or or do you tend to not want to get involved in that side of things when you're writing? No, I I I like doing. You know, I was just actually working on the design for a new creator-owned book that's getting announced in a month or so mm-hmm. and just working on making the interior front cover. Um, but no, like nowadays I find I re- one, I really like <clears throat> doing graphic design now that it's not my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's way more fun. Um, and <clears throat> I don't know it's, it's like when I say it's fun, like I, I, I occasionally treat it as like my reward if I, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I treat it as my reward if, you know, I've had a good night writing and mm-hmm. I just don't want to write anymore. It's like, oh, I'll go and like sit on Photoshop and I'll put together a promo image or I'll design the back cover of Short Order Crooks 5. Or, um, it's a whole different way of thinking about things. Like I'm still being creative and it's a way of like thinking about my book without like, okay, I'm going to sit here in front of this notebook with a pen in my hand and like actively think about this book um with with design work it's you know you're thinking about it as well as 10 million other things at the same time um 
And sometimes you can get some really good thinking done about story and stuff that way. Like ideas you didn't know you had about a book will pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's just like I think it's helpful for any creator to know, you know, especially writers to know how to do more than just write. Um, like lettering is a skill that you can pick up. Um uh, flatting, which I did for like three years professionally, hmm. um, which is, you know, just doing color separations, uh, for a colorist. Like, so when I started doing books, I was like, well, I, you know, like I don't have any money, but I can flat all the pages and I'll letter them and I'll do all the production work on them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think starting out, it's good to have as big a skill set as possible and going along, like, you know, it just, I, ideally, when somebody picks up a book of mine, they can be like, well, this looks like, you know, like this new book. Uh, like I can tell that that Chris like designed the uh, the interior front cover or back cover or whatever. Like, I don't know. It's 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 I'm not consciously like, how do I brand myself? But uh, <laughs> like I want I want my books to be my books and I want them to look like. You know, not just that I wrote them, but, you know, that I had a bigger hand in it than just like, all right, I finished the script and I whipped it off to the artist. And now I'm going to like just like sort of brush my hands and move on. Um, I like to stay involved as much as I can. So having a design skill set means I can I can do that and I can still have an influence over the look of the book. Mm hmm. Do you uh, do you like being on Twitter? Do you like that that you said about being able to contact a, or be contacted immediately? Do you like that aspect of it? Or I do, yeah. Um, you know, like I've I've definitely, uh, especially like you know, last year was the first time that I really started getting drawn into stuff that I did not want to get drawn into, mm. um, but. And, you know, I had to like sort of revise my policy of like, I'm never blocking anyone to be like, (laughs) oh, well, I'm just blocking this whole contingent of people like just for my own sanity. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, the the waters have definitely gotten a lot rougher in the last year or two. But I still I am still fully on board for Twitter um, just because like it's an easy way to keep tabs on all my friends. it's it's a good avenue to just sort of shout into the darkness, which working in a room by myself for a lot of the time, like I need I need something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just and yeah, just having the ability to to have somebody like hit me up and say, like, hey, I read, you know, these two issues of Shorter Crooks and I really love them. Like that's you know, it's it's nice. Like it's nice to know. That, you know, just at random moments that somebody can hit you up and be like, hey, I'm I'm reading this stuff that you were busting your butt on and I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Like it's just like, yeah, tiny little rewards, I guess. You know, there's also just a ton of nightmares on there. But (laughs) I yeah, I don't know. I I try to do my best to uh, build build the best echo chamber for myself that I can. Yeah, Uh, I feel like uh, last year. Twitter. Um, I mean, I I'm still on there, and I still enjoy being on there. And I've been very lucky in that I I don't get too much flack from people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the one thing I've noticed is that it's now it seems like it's harder for people to take the leap to follow and follow back or to to build their their group these days, just because people are so um, wary of 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 some of the people that have appeared on Twitter over the last year and or maybe two years. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. Um, I've, I've always been pretty, I, I tend to keep mine reserved to just people that I've met in the flesh mm-hmm. and that I know. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, they're like layers, like then the next ring or like people that, you know, I've interacted with enough that like, I feel like I know them. Um, and then there's, you know, uh, outer ring of like people I interact with occasionally or I sort of recognize. And then there's like the deep wilds of like the people I never <laughs> want to interact with or the people that I end up like going out and fighting with. Cause I've, 
decided to say something snarky to a politician or celebrity. Um, so yeah, I've just like, I don't know. I try to keep it well managed. So I'm never, you know, I know some people who follow like 2000 people and it's like, how do you even like, it's just, I follow like just under 900 people and it, I barely can follow what's going on some days. Mm-hmm. I never like scroll back and I'm like, Hmm, what did I miss? Like, it's just like, <laughs> no, that's lost to the ages. So, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's got a lot of problems, but I, you know, I still love it. Uh, you know, it's a really mess. Yeah. It's this thing that I love and I should hate and I should walk away from it, but it's, it's largely responsible for like my career at this point. So, mm-hmm. Um, uh, so what are you, you, you said Blue Beetle is a current project and you have some other stuff that's creator owned. Um, what else are you working on? Are you, are you doing, um, the, the prose work or is it just comics work at the moment? Um, yeah, just comics work at the moment. Like, um, uh, I just did some revisions on the, uh, the ghost rider one shot that I'm doing for Marvel last night. Um, and a couple other like, uh, work for higher things, but yeah, I'm largely focused on creator own stuff for this year. I have two new creator own books that are going to be announced next month. Um, you know, my, uh, first creator own book from aftershock called cold war comes out mm-hmm. next month. Um, yeah, I just like, I accidentally scheduled it where it's like, Oh, I have like, six creator own books coming out this year. Um, cause comics is weird and this is how things line up sometimes. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of like working on my own stuff more than anything is ultimately it's, it's where I'm happiest. I, I do love doing work for higher stuff, but you know, I like, I like having a world that I can mess around in and I'm the only one who can sort of shoot an idea down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like doing two edit press stuff is, as the freedom that it's allowed me. I think I've started to get a little addicted to it. So I'm kind of leaning into that. Um, this is the year though, that I want to actually like finish a like prose book and start marketing that, mm-hmm. um, or figuring out how to sell it. Um, I just bought this ridiculous thing uh, on Amazon called the Alpha Smart Neo, which is like this weird plastic typewriter. Hmm. Um, uh, and it's just got a tiny little LCD screen. So like zero distractions. And, <laughs> and you know, when you're done, you can connect it via USB and then it'll just like upload what you've typed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, it seems ridiculous, but yeah, I'm just, I'm so prone to distraction. Like, I mean, I think there's another thing I like write about writing comics is that it feels like it's because like each page is a unit. It's easier for me to be like, Hey, I finished this page. I'm going to bounce and like read these five things on the internet and then I'll bounce back and write another page. Um, that's not the way to write prose. So I have to reteach myself. Mm-hmm. So I need, I need a weird, like sort of speak and spell machine to, uh, to really keep myself honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put out at least one new zine this year and maybe two. I have a couple more Kickstarters in the works for a new comics. I'm going to self publish. I'm just, I'm just like trying to get as much done as possible while I can. Um, I don't know, you know, striking while the iron is hot. Cause mm-hmm. who knows in like a year, uh, some new hotness may be along, uh, and obliterate us all. So, uh, like while I have the chance to tell my stories, I'm going to tell as many of them as I can. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Chris. Where do you want people to, to find you or your work online? Uh, my website is, uh, is an okay place to go and that's, uh, Christopher And, but mostly you can find me on Twitter and I'm uh, at X top X T O P. Um, 
So yeah, as long as you're not a jerk, I'll, I'll usually <laughs> respond to you there. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, those are sort of my two main avenues. Okay, cool. I'll put some links in the, the show notes, but thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.